Well, good morning. It is great to be gathered together again in this way and to be looking into God's Word and to be sharing this time together. And uh, as you remember from last week, we're just taking a little break away from Matthew and we are looking at uh, the life of King Hezekiah and specifically one particular health crisis that King Hezekiah faced. And we're considering this crisis and how God is at work in our lives during crisis as well. And so we looked last week at five ways or means that God uses to prepare and to equip his people for crisis. That God uses his people, his word, prayer, reminders of his personal presence, and by natural means. And by those five ways, we are equipped and prepared for crisis and are able to respond to crisis at least those five ways maybe a dozen others they're the normal means by which God prepares and equips his people and we should be watching for them uh, taking full advantage of them it's of little use if God provides resources for us and we do not use them or we neglect them and so Recognize them. Recognize that these are the ways that God works in his people and lean into them. They are the good means by which God is caring for us. But there's more that we can learn from Hezekiah. In Isaiah chapter 38, we have a direct record of King Hezekiah's reflections after he had gone through his health crisis. Reflections on what he feared and how he felt during his illness. And we literally get to read a little bit of King Hezekiah's journal or his diary here as the scribe of Isaiah records just what the king was feeling and what he was fearing while this crisis was going on in his life. Just as we considered the normal means that God uses to prepare and equip his people for crisis, we're going to see here over the next couple of weeks the normal feelings and the normal fears that we will experience as God's people in crisis. What will we fear? What will we feel? And how should we feel? How should we respond to these feelings and these fears? One of the incredible characteristics of the Old Testament and all of Scripture, really, is its brutal honesty about the human condition. One of the ways we can depend on the godly rather than the human authorship of the Bible is that the Bible does not view its heroes through rose-colored glasses. It doesn't whitewash the human condition or excuse God from apparent culpability in our suffering or whitewash the doubt and the anguish that we wrestle with in our relationship with him. And our text today, similar to whole books like Job or Lamentations, is a great example of that. The Bible deals with the reality of the human condition face-on and unflinching. And in this case, we get to see into Hezekiah's heart in the middle of his crisis. We know how it ends with God giving him 15 more years of health to rule Judah. But what about in the days of the actual sickness and crisis? Let's look at King Hezekiah's own words and unpack what we can by the leading of the Spirit about the normal feelings of godly people in the midst of severe crisis. And next week, we will look at the fears that Hezekiah faced, and the normal fears of God's people in crisis. Let's pray. Father God, we just uh, come to you to look into your word and ask your Holy Spirit to illuminate it for us. Um, 
you know that I had this actually as one message at the beginning, but you just kept unfolding things for us to see. And so, Lord, we're going to do it in two takes. And, uh, Lord, this morning as we look into the feelings of God's people and godly people during crisis, uh, help us to see what you would have us learn from your text and to apply to our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. So I'm hoping the rain is going to hold off. It's a little cloudy this morning and I feel a few drops on my head, but I think we're going to make it through. The scripture we're looking at is again in Isaiah 38 and we're looking uh, in verses 9 to 15. And as I said, you'll see here that this is actually the writing of King Hezekiah himself. Verse 9 says, A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and recovered from his sickness. I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent, like a weaver I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night you bring me to an end. I calmed myself until morning. Like a lion he breaks all my bones. From day to night you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. So Hezekiah's experience of this crisis comes to us uh, in this text here. As, as we read this, we can kind of unpack how he's feeling. And, and how he feels really resonates with us today as well. Just as with Hezekiah, uh, many of you, many of us already had one or two challenges. We already had one or two crises even already going on in our life. And then another crisis overtook all of us, the whole church and a whole nation and a whole globe, really. And the beginning of that crisis has passed, as it has for Hezekiah, and we look to its end with hope, as Hezekiah does and did, but it's in the middle days, it's in the middle of the crisis where we're feeling much like Hezekiah did, and, and this text that we have of his writing, of his journal, is him explaining how he felt in the middle of the crisis. We face the anguish of lost community, and of lost health, and of lost loved ones, and for some that we know, even in our Lakeside family right now this week, they are facing the grief and anguish of additional loss, even in the middle of a larger crisis that faces us all. And this is how Hezekiah, a godly king, conveys the secret and personal fears and feelings of his heart in the midst of his crisis. We see that here, if we kind of unpack the feelings from the fears in this text, that Hezekiah felt at least three things. First of all, Hezekiah felt fragile. It says in verse 12, My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. So here's Hezekiah. He is a powerful king. He commands armies. He lives in a palace. But in his sickness, he suddenly feels like all of his earthly security is gone. His, his palace and his body feel as fragile as a tent. They cannot help him in the situation that he's in. And every health crisis has this natural effect on us, especially as Christians, 
because we better than anyone understand that this life is a vapor. It's temporary. James tells us in James 4.14, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And right now, this very week, we weep with the Goodwin family as they feel this as keenly as it can possibly be felt. As Terry was here with us and then gone to be with his Lord in a moment. Christians above all know that our life is a mist. It is a vapor. We understand the fragility of our life. And with this COVID crisis around us, people wearing masks and people staying six feet apart and all of these different measures that are being taken to protect us, the fragility of our life is heightened. It isn't wrong to feel fragile. It's actually necessary that we feel the fragility of this life in order that our grip on it and our demands of it might be loosened. If our hope is fixed on good health, it will be fixed in the wrong place. If our faith is in a long, comfortable life, then it will eventually and sometimes suddenly come to an end. And if all of our hopes was pinned there on that security and comfort and longevity of our life and our health, then we will ultimately despair when it's gone. So God will use these moments to heighten the sense of our fragility, to stir up in us proper feelings of fragility in the human heart, to loosen our grip on false hopes and false idols so that we set our hopes on things beyond this life. The Apostle Paul felt the fragility of his own life. He was beset by several ailments. He couldn't see very well. He had some crippling and weakening thorn in his flesh that God did not remove. And he suffered hard from travel and regular beatings and imprisonments, we read in 2 Corinthians 11:23 to 28. And so all of God's servants recognize or feel the fragility of their life. And yet with Hezekiah, as we will later see, and with the Apostle Paul, they did not let the fragility drive them away from God, but towards God. I have a little red tail squirrel visitor here who for some reason is carrying a golf ball. <laughs> oh, there he goes. So Hezekiah feels fragility. Then Hezekiah says he felt anxiety. He says, I calmed myself until morning. And you can tell from that statement as he's writing his journal that during this middle period of the crisis, that Hezekiah was in a habit of being awake a lot at night and he had to calm himself down. He's had many sleepless nights and he spent those nights awake trying to calm himself all the way until morning. And maybe you can relate to this. During the day, the kids and your spouse and your work and the shopping and the errands and all the things that you are doing, the household tasks, all of those things distract you from the stress of the current crisis. But then you go back to bed and the lights are turned off and the house is quiet and your mind starts to turn and to churn over all the possible outcomes of this particular crisis. And you have to figure out ways to calm yourself in order to get to sleep if you ever do. We may be flattening the coronavirus curve with all the measures that we have in place, but I can tell you that 
across all of our society, the anxiety curve is not flattening, it's spiking. Hezekiah is a godly man who can't sleep. He cannot find peace. His mind won't rest. His anxiety is coming from someplace, and we'll look at his fears next week and see where some of that anxiety is coming from. But for now, let's just recognize that the most godly king of his era, the king who walked with God, was not free of the feelings of anxiety. As Christians, we will still experience the realities of our flesh, and we will respond to them differently, perhaps, than others. But it doesn't mean that we do not experience them. Even Jesus, God in human flesh, said as he approached the days of his death, My soul is very sorrowful, even unto death, in Matthew 26:38. And so, first we see that Hezekiah feels fragility, like his body is just a tent that is going to be folded up, and that it won't sustain him. And then we see that he feels anxious. And this anxiousness and this fragility is shared by all of God's people. Anxiety is part of the anguish that comes in crisis. And then Hezekiah continues. He says he feels exhausted. It says in verse 14, like a swallow or a crane, I chirp, I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upwards. And I think we all know how it feels to be exhausted in the midst of any crisis. Not only are we not sleeping well, but the crisis itself is emotionally draining. And we are responding in ways that are outside of our normal routines, which causes even more weariness. There's whole articles being written right now on what's called Zoom fatigue and why meetings on Zoom are actually more exhausting than meetings in person. This is a normal feeling in crisis and not something to feel guilty about, nor to ignore, but to make sure that we're accounting for and that we're caring for ourselves in. But what is interesting, apart from just general exhaustion, that we see here is what Hezekiah even says he's weary of. And this is something that perhaps only a Christian would specifically experience. He says that he is chirping and cooing or moaning like birds, like that. You're probably hearing some of them around me. And he's weary of looking upward. And you remember last week I mentioned how Hezekiah turned himself away from Isaiah and towards the wall so that he could pray. And in the Far East even today, but especially in ancient Israel, normally people didn't close their eyes to pray, but they actually stood with their eyes open and they looked upward to God. And I think this is what Hezekiah is telling us in his heart of hearts as he writes this journal and he recounts this middle period of his crisis, he's tired of praying. And that's not the confession you'd expect from this godly king who knows firsthand the power of prayer. This is a king who prayed and saved his city from 185,000 enemy soldiers. But again, the scriptures are honest with us. How many are weary of praying in their crisis? Not just coronavirus, but whatever crisis perhaps has been upon you for months or years prior to this, or whatever crisis has come upon you in the midst of this pandemic. Hezekiah's illness was not a very long one. It probably did not carry on for more than weeks or maybe months probably by the timelines that we have. And yet he is weary already of waiting on God to respond. And so... Hezekiah and we can pray along with the psalmist in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Let my foes rejoice because I am, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So we would pray with the psalmist, we would pray with Hezekiah this very similar prayer. How long is this going to go on? Hezekiah was not only king or godly person who's experienced the seeming slow pace of God, but God is not wasting our time in crisis. We need to understand that God uses pace as well as place. Peter says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, he says in 2 Peter 3.9. And just a few chapters later, Isaiah is going to remind the people of Israel of the promise of God in their weariness. It says in Isaiah 40.29-31, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so this is a reality of godly people, godly kings, godly servants. God not only uses the situation that we're in, the particulars of our crisis for his purpose, but God is using the time that we spend in that situation or the pace at which we experience it for his purposes. God is using the trial itself and God is using the longevity of the trial. And I think we're all feeling this reality right now along with King Hezekiah and along with others of God's servants. Is this not our prayer? How long, O Lord? I know it's my prayer. The virus was enough trouble when it looked like it might only be a few weeks or maybe a couple of months in March or April. But now we're through May and we're into June and it could carry on all through the summer and people are talking it may even be continuing on in some measure in the fall. And we pray and feel like Hezekiah does. How long is this going to last? I am weary of looking up. We've prayed and we're waiting on the Lord and even godly people get tired. But God is using the pace and the timing of the crisis as well as the situation. The Apostle Paul writes of his own experience while walking with God on his missionary journeys. He says in 2 Corinthians 7.5, he says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. And so here's Paul saying, here we are doing the Lord's work and we're in this situation and our bodies are getting no rest. Not only are we not getting physical rest because of the conflict that's going on around us, but we also have fear going on inside of us. And like I said, we're going to get to fears next week with Hezekiah. But let me ask you, if, if you're at your computer right now, you're watching this on Facebook and you've got your keyboard available to you, let me just ask you for a show of hands in the comments or just an amen. Let me ask you how many people today are feeling these three things. How many are feeling fragile, like this life is a tent and that it can go at any moment? How many are feeling anxious? How many are feeling exhausted? Maybe even write something specific that you're feeling anxiety or exhaustion over. 
and we can take those comments that you write uh, in the comment section. All of us can take them as a prayer list for this week and just pray for each other for these feelings that we have as God's people. What Hezekiah is recording for us in this journal to himself is hitting us right where we are at right now, is it not? And you might think, well, wait a minute, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I, I should not feel this way. Aren't, aren't we as Christians supposed to, you know, have our hope in God and, uh, you know, be confident and courageous and, you know, have all the fiery darts of the enemy uh, put out and all of these different things? You know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to feel this way. Yet here the Bible records for us, without rebuke, the feelings of a godly king, the, the feelings of an apostle, even the feelings of our Messiah, even the feelings of Jesus. And these feelings are not purely of confidence and victory in every situation. There's the reality of how our flesh feels when we're going through crisis, and the scripture is honest with us about that. We never read in scripture the servants of God th saying things like, well, I've been thrown into a pit to be murdered or sold by my brothers. This is a great experience, God. Thank you for this. No, what we read in Genesis 42:21, when his brothers are looking back on what they had done, we read that Joseph wept and pleaded for his life with his brothers in the pit. I mean, after the fact, we're amazed at how God moves Joseph from the pit to the palace. But at the moment, in the midst of the crisis, Joseph was weeping. He was begging for his life. This is how even great godly people feel in the midst of crisis. When we feel the effect of sin and the curse of this world land on us in the form of a crisis, it is not a failure of your faith to have feelings, but it is a reality of your humanity. Everyone is feeling these same things at this time. And some of us are feeling them to a far greater degree personally with our own additional challenges on top of this global crisis. So then the question becomes, if these are the feelings even of godly people, what do Christians do with these feelings? If everyone is feeling them, how are Christians set apart from everyone else? If we don't feel differently than others, then what should be different about us in our faith? And of course, it is our response to these feelings. As Christians, we have the incredible blessing of letting these feelings lead us to Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we have in Jesus a great high priest who is sympathetic to our weakness. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. So if we just look at these three feelings of fragility and anxiety and exhaustion, we can ask ourselves and lean into Jesus in each of these three ways. Do you feel fragile? Imagine Jesus, who was God and was with God from all eternity, who then humbled himself and took on flesh to be born as a baby, to constrain himself to this kind of physical body, to submit himself to hurt and to illness and to pain and to subject himself to punishment and to death. Jesus understands the feeling of fragility like we can never understand it. We are not immortal in the sense that Jesus was immortal from all eternity. We were not create outside of creation. 
And yet Jesus entered into creation and took on a body that is more fragile. And in comparison to what he was, we can't even imagine the fragility that he felt. So in our fragility, we can go to Jesus and he understands what it means to feel fragile. In our anxiousness, Jesus understands anxiety. He faced the cross, rejection by the Father and separation from the Spirit in ways that we cannot comprehend. And he faced that as an, as an eternal relationship was broken momentarily to bear the full weight of our sin. He sweat great drops of blood. His human body was almost incapable of tolerating the stress of what he faced. And so as we face stress, as we face anxiety, we understand that we can lean into, we can take these feelings and go to Jesus because he understands stress. He understands anxiety. We feel exhausted. Jesus knows what it is to be weary. He'd never experienced this before from the beginning of time. And yet when he took on human flesh, when he took on a body, all of a sudden he experienced weariness. Weary even of doing the work of his own father. He stood over Jerusalem and wept for the city that continued to reject the prophets and the scriptures and his own call to them. He showed moments of frustration even as he exclaims in Mark 9:19. He says, Oh, faithless generation, he says, How long am I going to bear with you? Jesus understands physical exhaustion. He understands spiritual exhaustion. He understands the exhaustion of even doing the work of God. And while at times he could pray all night, at other times his body was so weary of ministry he could sleep through storms that were about to sink a ship, we see in Luke 8, 24. And he had to be awoken from his slumber. Jesus knows the exhaustion of body and spirit and soul. And so as we are exhausted in this, we can go to Jesus and know that he understands how we feel and that he has equipped us for these feelings. So as Christians, let your feelings lead you to Jesus, not away. Psalm 103, I've mentioned it a couple of times, is one of my favorite psalms, one of my favorite go-to verses in these times in the Bible. I'm going to read verse 14, which is my favorite, but then on from 14 just a little bit to see what it says. Psalm 103, 14 says, For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. Such an amazing psalm. God does not despise our humanity. God created us. He created us with feelings. He remembers that we are his creation. He remembers what we will feel. But he has established his love for us in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. And so when we are reminded that we are dust, we remember that God knows and that Jesus is where we turn. If you have not put your hope in Christ Jesus, if you have been struggling with these feelings over the last weeks or months or maybe for years out of your life with this feeling of fragility, of the weakness of life, if you've been feel, struggling with anxiety and stress and worry, if you've been struggling with exhaustion, even a soul weariness of what is the point of going on, which Hezekiah felt as well and we'll touch on next week, then 
Where else can you take these feelings except to Jesus? He is the only one who has experienced all of these things and experienced them in a way that brings victory. Jesus is the one who we turn to. And so if you have not done that, this is the time. Now is the time in the middle of crisis to take these feelings to Jesus. That's why we feel them in crisis. We feel fragility. We feel exhaustion. We feel anxiety so that it loosens our grip on this life and we realize that we are not sufficient in our own for what is now and what is to come. But Christ is sufficient. And so even today, you can open up your Bible. You can talk to someone who knows Jesus that you know in your family or a friend. And you can discover how you can bring these things to Jesus and know him as he knows you. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you that the Bible is unflinching in its look at the human condition. And that it is unflinching in its look even at what we would consider our heroes. That it does not whitewash them. That it does not look at them through rose-colored glasses. That the scriptures do not paint for us an unrealistic or insurmountable measure of human confidence and righteousness and security and strength. But that the Bible repeatedly, even in the most righteous and most heroic, so to speak, of its examples, reveals our weakness reveals that our confidence is not in our flesh, is not in our society, is not in our culture. Our confidence is in Christ Jesus alone. And so as we feel these things, as believers, as Christians, let us not feel guilty about our feelings, but bring these feelings to the one who is the author of them, to the one who is using them to accomplish great purposes in our lives, that Christ would be our hope that Christ would be our confidence, that he would be our sympathetic high priest, and that we would place our hope in him alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.